You're listening to the New Life Podcast. We're one church in multiple locations based out of Aberdeen, South Dakota. We hope this message helps the gospel come alive for you and gives you an opportunity to encounter Jesus in a whole new way. For more info on New Life, you can check out our website at www.newlifeaberdeen.org. Let's get ready to listen to today's message. Uh, This morning, we are going to have some fun together. Open your Bibles to the book of Ephesians. We're going to be exploring a little bit from a great text written uh, by a man 2,000 years ago by the name of Paul. How many of you guys know who Paul is? Yes, we should all know who Paul is. He's a writer of the New Testament. He is a man of God who was not always that way. He has a history and a past and a story just like all of us. But God is going to take this man and he's going to use him to do incredible things. He's the first missionary to go out into the world and spread the gospel. He is what we are called to be. Paul's a man who's going to work and he's going to take his ministry to his work. He's a man that that goes and does the kingdom of God in the world. And so today what we're going to look at is a text that specifically calls each one of us to take on the mantle of the kingdom of God and operate in a way that's not isolated, where we're all out on our own island, but rather he calls us to something together where we're gonna go out and advance the kingdom of God in the world. So this morning, the title of our message is very simple, Together. What happens when you and I, when people who are just the average Joes in little old Aberdeen, South Dakota, what happens when we come together and we say, Jesus, have your way, you deserve it all in my life, and so I'm gonna give you everything. What does it look like when we operate together? Now, before we get to our text, we gotta lay some groundwork, just a little bit. Paul's writing this letter to a city called Ephesus, and if you know anything about Ephesus, you know that this is a city that's vying for the attention and the allegiance and the loyalty of its people. Ephesus was a large city, 250,000 people. This would be like, Uh, a larger Sioux Falls, but this was a huge city back in the day. It was a port city, so it was really important. This is where Rome connected with the rest of the world. Okay, so Romans were constantly coming in and out of this city. It was a wealthy city. It was a rich city, and at the top of the hill, there was this, this temple that everybody took pride in. It was the seventh wonder of the world. It was a temple dedicated to the goddess Artemis, excuse me. And it was this massive temple that was over a football field long, right? It it was almost a football field wide. It was this huge, immaculate building, right? And inside of it, there was worship to this deity. It was very sexualized. It was very intimate. It was very personal. And everybody in the community went there and they worshiped. There was over 5,000 temple prostitutes that worked in this temple. This city was, was very religious, This city was very loyal. This city was very faithful. It was very faithful to this God. It was very faithful to the emperor. There were over three temples that were built specifically for different Roman emperors throughout time. And there were earthquakes and different things that would happen in this city. And and one of the stories is that this, this giant temple to Artemis, this deity that everyone worshiped, especially the men, 
it collapsed and it fell in on itself. It actually did this two times throughout Ephesus' history. And the last time it fell down, the whole city got together. They met with one of the Roman delegates. And Rome said, hey, we're gonna, this is so important to our system. This is so important to our society. We're going to actually give you money to rebuild this temple. The town got together, and this is what they said. They said, no, Rome, we don't need your money. We got this. They took so much pride in their system. They took so much pride in their culture that they actually took money out of their own bank accounts and they said, we're gonna build this together. We're gonna rebuild as a city the seventh wonder of the world. How many of you know that that takes some dedication? Insert Paul into this community. Paul's coming into a community that he sees is together for something. They have a loyalty towards something. They're all working in one mind together to achieve a vision and a purpose and a calling that this goddess and that these emperors have put on their life. And he sees these people so committed to being together. And he thinks to himself, what would it look like if the gospel of Jesus Christ came in? What, if it look, what would it look like if the truth about Jesus, the real reality, came and was compared to this false God, what would happen in a community like this? And so he begins to preach this Jesus. Crazy things start happening. God starts showing up and doing amazing signs and wonders. And all of a sudden, people begin to fall away from this religious cult, this tight-knit group of people, and they begin to form this thing that we see as the church. Paul creates a community that's together. See, one of the things we see about Ephesus is that this was a community that focused on each other, but it also focused on the individual. It knew at the very core of each of our hearts there was something there that we desired, and it exploited it. It took the individual and put them at the center of society and said, everything revolves around you. Men, if you want to worship You don't need to go to a church on Sunday morning. You go up the hill and you spend time with Artemis and her little priestesses. People, if you want power in your life, then you come over here and you worship one of the Roman deities and we'll give you a certificate so you can do business in the city. If you want to advance in society, you become a part of one of these religious cults and then you can move up. It's about taking the individual and moving them up the societal ladder. Paul comes on the scene and he messes all of this up. I was driving to church this morning, right? I was driving to church this morning and, you know, I get my emails on my phone and, and you know, I heard the little, the little ding that we all hear when we get a new email or text message and I opened it up and, and I've, I've been sort of on this like power tool binge lately. Like some of you guys can probably relate to what I'm talking about. Uh, whenever I get a little extra cash, you know, I have these websites I go to and, and I buy a certain brand of power tool and, and like that's my like hobby and, and my, my like that's how I nerd out a little bit. And so I have all these sites that I'm subscribed to and, and that I'm a part of, right? And I get this message from one of those sites. Last night I was, you know, watching the 49ers just win and it was awesome and I was scrolling on this, this website looking at a, a shop vac of all things, right? And so I, I looked at the shop vac, got a price, and I was like, okay, I'll get that in like two years, that's cool. 
Uh, and, but so then I put my phone away. And this morning I get an email from this company that I love. And it says to me, Micah, we're having abandonment issues. You need to look at this email again. It literally said that. We're having abandonment issues. Micah, we need you. And so I responded by opening the email thinking, yes, I have abandonment issues too, right? I need to see this email. I need to know if there's been a price reduction or whatever. But I realized in that moment, you know what we do in our society? We're not that much different than Ephesus. We have these things that we do, these groups that we're a part of that we think are gonna help us climb the social ladder. We live in a society that's all about us. It takes Micah and puts him at the dead center of his universe and everything revolves around this. There's a multi-million dollar corporation in Fargo right now that I love that is centering their whole existence around me, right? I'm not worth even close to that. Yet they're taking their time to focus on me. It makes me feel so special, so wanted, and so loved, right? Hopefully you sense the sarcasm in that. But it puts me at the very center, the consumer at the center of the universe, and it says, how can we meet your needs? And the reality is the more self-centered we become, the harder it is for us to be together. The more that Micah's the center of the universe, the more that Micah has these weird abandonment issues with myself and my needs and my wants, the more difficult it's gonna be for me to hold on to somebody else. Now imagine if you have a whole community like that where each individual is the center of the universe, what do relationships look like? I help you because you have something to give to me. I wanna be your friend because you have something to give to me. There's an exchange, a relational transaction that happens. And when that relational transaction uh, breaks off or the relationship becomes difficult or there's frustration between you and me, what do I do if I'm the center of the universe? I say, I don't need you anymore. See you later. And I push people out. Paul's coming into a community where everything is based upon a transaction between you and me, between someone, between two people, where it's, they are the center of their universe. And Paul's gonna bring a gospel that's going to absolutely blow it up. Ephesians 2, verses four through six. Pastor Chuck, can I ask you a favor? Can you grab me a bottle of water? I feel like my, or Greg, thank you. You guys are awesome. Ephesians 2, verse four through six. But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. For Paul, this is where it starts. He's gonna write this letter to this people group where they've been made the center of the universe and they can do things in this city that's going to make them the most happy they can be. It's a community where together, right, they can go explore what it means to truly be you. This is what Paul says is the center. But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love which, which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. Here's how he starts his appeal to you and me. 
if we are going to be together, if we are going to advance the kingdom of God like Paul is, what we first have to realize about ourselves is that we are dead. Everyone say dead together. In a self-help culture that's all about us, that is a hard reality. We were dead in our trespasses and sin, but we were made alive. We were made alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved. Paul comes in preaching an entirely different message. He's saying, Micah, it's not about you. Your life, your kingdom. If you want to advance in the kingdom of God, stop putting yourself first. The heartbeat of love is sacrifice. The heartbeat of togetherness is sacrifice. When my life stops, Christ begins. See, this is the first point I want to give to you. Together happens, together happens when my sin dies. Together happens, together begins when my sin dies. We must get relationship with God right before we can get relationship right with each other. You've heard this a hundred times here, right? There's a common thing that we always teach. If you want this to go well, if you want your relationships with your spouse, if you want your relationships with your children to go well, what you first have to do is get your relationship with God right. How many of you in your life, you've experienced tension in a relationship? I watched a great movie last night called War Room, and it's all about this woman who's struggling in a relationship with her spouse. And the thing she has to realize above all else, she's fighting, there's tension between the two, is she has to realize if she doesn't have a relationship with Christ, if she doesn't have a relationship with God, then no other relationship is gonna unfold in the plans and purposes of God, and so she has to start there. So this morning, let me ask you a question. What's your relationship with God like? Are you spending time with him? Men, are you stepping up in the morning and reading the Bible by yourself? Are you praying for your wife? Are you praying for your kids? Are you giving God your heart? Are you letting your pride die? Wives, same thing. Are you getting up in the morning and are you investing into a relationship with God? Because the more you invest into a relationship with God, the more it allows you to be open to him investing into you. And oftentimes what we try to do, I'm guilty of this, is we think we can fix our spouse. We think we can fix the person that annoys us the most and if they just do this one thing, or if they would just stop doing this, or if they would spend more time with God, or maybe if he would spend more time praying, then my life wouldn't be so bad. What's happening in those moments is you're taking yourself, you're putting yourself at the center, and you're saying, God, if only I, if someone else did this, then my life would be better. What God is saying through these passages is first understand who you are. When you understand who you are, you'll understand what you need. When you understand what you need, then your pride will begin to break because you'll realize what I need in my life is grace. And if I don't have grace, I can't give out grace. And the only thing that will ever hold us together as a community, it's not how smart we are. It's not how good we look on the outside. It's not where we send our kids to school. It's not what sport activities they're involved in. The thing that will hold us together as a community is grace and only grace. 
And grace can never happen if I'm at the center of the world. Let's move on. When you have a relationship with God and that is right, everything else begins to change. The second verse I wanna read comes from Ephesians 2, 19 through 20. And this is some of my, these are some of my favorite texts. Paul's gonna break down brilliant theology that we don't have time to get into. But one of the verses he says is that when Jesus died on the cross, he broke down the wall of hostility between Jews and Gentiles. And what that means is this. There were two different tribes. One had the plan of God. One had the purposes and promises of God. The others didn't. You had the insiders, you had the outsiders. Jesus comes on the scene, he breaks that wall down, and so now there's this opportunity for all of us, Jews, Gentiles, to be one in Christ. And this is what Paul says in verse 19 and 20. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone. Paul uses this language of a temple that's being built, this house that's being built of, of living bricks. It's being built of you and me where we form the walls, we form the roofs, we form, we form the floorboards of this, this building that's gonna encase and, and hold the presence of God. But he says at the very core of it is Jesus. Jesus is the cornerstone. Jesus is this rock that everything is being built upon. A cornerstone was the most valuable stone in a building. This is the stone that holds it all together. If you were to take this stone out, it'd be like pulling the one block out of a Jenga thing that's gonna cause it to fall over. This is the most important piece. This is probably the largest stone of a building. If this stone were to fall away, everything falls apart. Christ is the cornerstone. There's reference after reference after reference in the Bible that refers to a cornerstone that would one day come and bring stability to humanity. Again, Isaiah 28, 16 says this, therefore, thus says the Lord God, behold, I am the one who has laid as a foundation in Zion a stone, a tested stone, a precious cornerstone of a sure foundation. Whoever believes will not be in haste. Once you set the cornerstone, the idea is that this thing will never move. This cornerstone will be secure forever. And anything that's built around it, everything that's built around it, everybody listen to this, everything that's built around it will be secure as long as the cornerstone is intact. So here's what I want to do. I'm going to do an illustration. I have no idea how this is going to go. So you guys are my, you guys are my uh, test dummies, but you're not dummies, of course. Um, you guys are wonderful people. So I've talked to four people. If you would at this time, come on up. We are gonna try this and see how it goes. Let's give them just a round of applause as they bravely come up here, right? All right, so here's what we're gonna do. You th I'm gonna have you three stand over here, okay? This is gonna be our cornerstone. This is Larry, he's one of our elders. I picked an elder because this guy's a rock. He came and prayed with me this morning when I was getting the, you know, the jitters, uh, I was a little queasy in the stomach. He came and prayed for me. This guy is a rock and a cornerstone, okay? So he's gonna be our Christ. He's not Jesus, okay? So don't come up, you know, asking him to heal you or something, okay? But this man, he's gonna represent the cornerstone, right? And so when the storms of life come and they try to shake Jesus, what you notice is what? He's not moving. Look at those feet. 
I mean, I'm even more muscular than him. I'm just kidding. He's a runner. He could kick my butt, okay? But there's nothing about him that moves. When the storms of life come, what? The cornerstone stays the same. Doesn't matter how hard the wind is blowing. Doesn't matter how much rain is coming down. This cornerstone is safe and secure. Jesus knows what it's like to go through storms, amen? Jesus knows what it's like to go through a wilderness for 40 days and have no food and go through temptation after temptation after temptation and make it through. This is the guy who went to the cross and died for our sins, the the, the burden bearer that we come back to. It's safe, it's secure. Now, here's what happens. Colin, I'm gonna have you jump to the end. You're the grand finale. Here's what happens. Actually, I'm gonna have you jump down too. I want Wayne here. Wayne needs this the most, all right? This guy's gonna get manhandled by the pastor. But here's what happens in life, right? This is what life does to us. We have our sins, we have our burdens, we have our baggages. So I'm gonna pull you, I want you just to kind of walk back and forth, all right? It's like you're getting blown around by the wind. Look at this. Look, he's all over the place, right? There's things from our past that bring us shame. We go through hardships. There's things that happen that that are beyond our control, and sometimes it feels like we're spinning out of control. Do a little spin for everybody. (laughs) We're spinning out of control, right? And so there's no security here, and it just keeps coming and coming, right? But then all of a sudden, maybe a friend invites him to church, or maybe a friend begins to talk to him about Jesus and, and, and he comes to church with him and he hears Pastor Rodney saying things from the pulpit that are opening up his heart and all the chaos that he's in right now, the uncertainty, the instability, all of a sudden he has that moment at the end of the service where he says, you know what, I think it's time for me to surrender my pride and come and follow Jesus. Here's what happens. There's a wall that's built. There's a wall that's built and now How many of you know life doesn't stop when you give your life to Christ? So the winds still come and they still blow, but notice what happens. He's still moving around and he's getting annoyed with me as I do it, right? But what do you notice? Christ is standing firm. The cornerstone hasn't moved. Even though things are still happening in Wayne's life, the cornerstone is secure and he's still getting moved around, but there's stability in his life. And so now all of a sudden, Wayne has been transformed by the gospel, and he goes out into his life just like Paul did. And he begins to live his life the way that God's called it, and all of a sudden, he runs into this guy named Jason, and Jason's life is a hot mess. He's all over the place, right? Uh, you know, maybe he's had a couple kids, and maybe, you know, things, he's, he's stressed out, things are stressful at work, and, and things are stressful with his marriage, and things are, are stressful. You know, he's having car issues. I mean, I, other issues, there's all sorts of issues going on in his life, and Wayne says, Jason, I gotta tell you about this guy, Jesus, that I know. He's transformed my life. I want you you to come to church with me. I want you to hear the gospel. In fact, I'm gonna share a little bit with you. How many of you know you don't have to bring someone to church to share the gospel with them? Okay, I'm gonna say that again. How many of you know you don't have to bring someone to church to share the gospel with them? And so Wayne starts sharing the gospel with them. He starts coming to church. He starts, you know, he gets plugged into this life group. He meets this guy named Larry, and he's like, I need to get plugged into this life group. And all of a sudden, what do you see? Jason's life. There's still stuff going on, but what do you see? He's moving a little bit, but Wayne is solid. Why? Because he's connected to the cornerstone, and the cornerstone used his life to reach out to this guy right here, and now all of a sudden he's linked in. He's getting connected with guys. His life is becoming more and more stable. All right, you're up. (laughs) Then you have a young guy. I know this guy's a freshman in college. 
He's going through all those decisions young guys go through. He's got those girls Snapchatting him, reaching out to him, trying to get his attention, and he doesn't know what to do. He's in that stage of life where he makes these big decisions, and a lot of them can turn out to be bad decisions, amen? And so he's looking for direction. He's looking for guidance. He doesn't know what's going on, and all of a sudden, he starts coming to generation, or maybe he gets plugged into the youth ministry, and he hears Pastor Greg breaking down the gospel in the book of Romans, and he realizes there's a void in my heart that's causing me and my life to be in complete chaos. And so he gets together with one of his youth leaders. He gets together with them uh, for ice cream on a Tuesday night or whenever that happens, and the youth leader leads him to the Lord. All of a sudden, what you see, you see another connection point. And his life, he's making these decisions, and he's gonna make some bad decisions, he's gonna make some good decisions. But what do you notice? There's a connection between each one of these that's unbreakable, and the more connection there is, the stronger it gets. When we're connected to the cornerstone, in our life, the storms that will blow us around and create chaos in us, they're still gonna be there, they're still gonna come. But when you're connected to the cornerstone, you stay stable, you stay secure. Let's give these guys a round of applause. Thank you, guys. I can give you their number if you wanna reach out to them for further acting uh, gigs. But the cornerstone holds us together. This is the thing that provides stability and security in our lives. See, culture offers us a lot of things that are sort of like this counterfeit cornerstone. Micah, if you just have this power tool, then you're gonna be set. If you can just have this set up, then you're gonna be good to go. If you can just have this wife or ladies for you, if you can just have a husband that looks like this, then you're set. It's gonna bring stability to your life. If you can just achieve this job position, then you're set, then you'll have that security. And then when the storms come and go, you're not gonna get blown all over the place. If you just have this one thing, then your life, your life will be whole. And Paul knows that that reality just isn't true. He knows that reality will lead to death and destruction. See, here's what I love about that story. There's something you should notice, right? From Jesus all the way on, what was the common thread? There was a common thread, what was it? Jesus' story became intertwined with their stories. Jesus' story became intertwined with Wayne. And then Wayne's story became intertwined with Jason's. And Jason's story became intertwined with Colin's story. And there's, there's this chain link that happened. And it wasn't because of Wayne was so great. It wasn't because Jason was so great. It wasn't because Colin was so wise. It was because they had an encounter with the living God. They had an encounter with something that was real and it changed their life. And instead of being proud and prideful, they were humble and they were obedient. And it caused them to look at Christ to be their source of stability in the storm. And when they look at Christ, Christ calls us to look out and says, hey, there's more building blocks out there. You need to be looking for the next one. One passage that I love that Paul gives to us. In Ephesians 4, 
11 through 14, it says, he gave us apostles, prophets, evangelists, shepherds, and teachers to equip the saints for the work of the ministry, for building up the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood and womanhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. Listen, so that we are no longer children, tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness, and deceitful schemes. The reason God brings us together is so that we can mature in our faith. So here's a question I wanna ask you. Where are you at in your walk? What does you maturing in the faith look like right now? Because each one of us have that next step that God is calling us to take. For some of you, maybe you're out here and you're flying around and you're wondering what in the world is going on in my life. I'm here at this church right now listening to this guy talk to me and I can relate to some of the things he's saying, but what am I supposed to do? For some of you, it might mean stopping and linking up with somebody and giving your life to Christ and saying, Jesus, you must be the cornerstone of my life. I've put my hope in other cornerstones before. I've put my hope in other things before, but you have to take center stage of my life. For some of you, that's your next step. For others of you, you come on Sunday morning and you do follow Christ and you're trying to do your best to walk out your faith in the way that God has called you. What's your next step in maturity? Maybe it means getting plugged into a life group. Maybe it means bringing your kid to church on Wednesday night. Maybe it means you spending time with them praying at night. Maybe it looks like you saying, you know what, I'm gonna give a little bit more time to Jesus and he can have my mornings. I'm not just gonna pray before lunch and dinner, but I'm gonna pray early in the morning when I wake up. He gets my attention. He gets my affection. What does it look like for you to take that next step? Because here, here's the deal. God has given us apostles, preachers, evangelists, prophets, and another one that I can't think of right now. He's given us those five things, those five offices of the church, and it's our job to help walk alongside of you and figure out what that next step is. It's our job to come alongside of you and, and teach the gospel and show you how the gospel applies to the little things of life that, that you are struggling with, that are causing the storms and the insecurity and the instability in your life. It's our job to teach you those things and equip you so you can go out and be the link in the wall. So when you see your coworker at work who's spiraling out of control because his marriage or her marriage is falling apart, you can say, hey, that happened to me. That was my story, and what I want to do is link arms with you so that together, together we can bring stability in your life, but you can know Jesus in the same way I do. See, faith grows better together. Ephesians 4, 15, and 16, Paul says, Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. One of the things I love about this church is that picture of a cornerstone of Christ being built together, being built out. What I love about this church is that wall is long. One thing I love doing, right, I love, I love kingdom builders. I love it because it's vision. It's like, hurrah, let's go get them, 
right? We're going to reach the children of Aberdeen. We're going to bring them here on Wednesday night. We're going to feed them. We're going to teach them the gospel. We're going to help them in their discipleship process. Like, I love those things. Those are things that, like, they get my gears going. I love them. When Pastor Rod starts talking vision, I shut up and I listen most of the time. Not all the time, but most of the time, <laughs> right? I love it. But one of the things that I love to see the most at those Kingdom Builder banquets is we get to see the generations that have come before, the generation that started the church, the generation that is, is, is tight to the belt, a leadership team that's centered around Christ and being built around the cornerstone where we're all locked and linked together. And then you see these people that have been along for the ride for years and years and years and years, and they never sit up front. They always kind of sit towards the middle, towards the side, right? Because they're not super comfortable with the limelight. But they've been there, and they've been praying. And they've been growing in their faith, and they've been walking it out in their life. Those are the people that provide the stability in this church. Those are the links in the chain that gives us the power to move forward. There is power in numbers. See, here, here's, the, here's the reality of the church. The reality of the church is this. When we are united on more than just our hobbies, on more than just the sports that our kids play or the groups that we're a part of, when we're united because of the gospel of Jesus Christ, there's a power that comes with it that looks out in the world and says, we can do anything. But it looks inside our walls and says, we can be anything. See, there's some of you that are asking this question. You come in and you're like, look, there's a lot of stuff going on here. Do I really fit in? How many of you have ever asked that question? Do I, fit? you don't have to raise your hand. Do I fit in here? Do I belong here? I come in and I see the sign that says, welcome home. Do I really belong here? And I would say this to you. If you're a believer, I would say this. That's the wrong question to ask. The question's not, do I fit in or do I belong? The question really is, where? Where do you fit in? Where's your place? If you're looking for a place to belong, I'm telling you, you can find it at New Life. The question you should be asking is, is, okay, what's my next step? How do I get plugged in more? God, where is it that you want me? I want to link up with this people. I wanna link up with this body of believers that operates out of the idea of grace and the reality of grace. I want that to happen in my life and in my family. Where do I fit in? And so this morning, if that's you, here's what I want you to do, okay? If that's you and you're saying, okay, I'm gonna move beyond do I fit in to where do I fit in. I want you to take out your connection card. I want you to look that over. There's different areas you can serve in. There's different areas you can get plugged into. There's life groups that you can join where you can be around men or women that can help you and strengthen you in your faith. There's areas that maybe God is calling you to where you can go and you can serve. Maybe it's back in children's ministry. Maybe it's uh, being an usher. Maybe it's being a life group leader, whatever that is. God is pushing you to something. Where do you fit in? Because in a gospel-centered model, we always have a place for you. So here's what we're gonna do. I'm gonna pray in just a little bit. I want you to fill out that connection card. And then after the service, we're gonna, we're gonna, you know, we don't take like a firm offering here. We want you to take your offering and put it out in the bucket. I want you to take that connection card. This is really important for us. And I want you to put that in the box so we know who you are. And we know what we can do to help you get to that next step.
If that means having coffee with the pastor, then, then do that. If that means going back to starting point and connecting with somebody there, please do that. If that means connecting with Rod or myself, do that. What is your next step? What is God leading to you so leading you to so that we can be together? Amen, church? Let's pray. Jesus, thank you for this morning. Thank you for what you're doing. Thank you that you have called us to be together, that we are, that we are your bride, that you are creating into something that carries with, that carries your presence. So Jesus, we submit to you this morning. You are the cornerstone. You bring stability to our life when we have none. You, you ran to our sin, and there you died so that we could have life. So this morning, I pray for anyone who doesn't know you, Jesus, do a work in their heart. Would you draw it out of them so that even this morning, they might know you? Jesus, we give you our heart. We give you our life. We pray this in your name. Amen.